Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris, and we're down on the beach. It's raining. I'm getting wet from one end to the other. Thank goodness I don't live far from the beach. One of the beautiful things about living near where you exercise or near where you enjoy life or get out in nature is you can get out in all seasons and you just know it's not far to run back and get yourself warm in a shower. So today uh, we're talking about adventure and um, look I think uh, what it's really hard to explain in nature is that 50% of the energy of nature is boring 50% of the energy of nature is same old same old low tide uh, calm air uh, cloudless skies plants are growing uh, everything's green all is good, you're in love, nice dinner, uh, work's going well, success. 50%. Now, it's not 50% of time because if it's uh, really highly intensely like that, it's 50%, I'd rather say, of energy or 50% of the space. The other 50%, of course, is when the shit happens. Storms, rain, uh, fires, COVIDs, viruses, uh, competitive attack on your business, computer goes down, basically you could call it at work firefighting. Now, an expectation of anything else is going to lead to what's called secondary emotions. So a primary emotion is an emotion that you have that's genuine. Let's say uh, you're in a car, driving down the street and you fear. You have fear because, you know, there's nearly an accident or your car's not functioning as it should be or uh, there's a lightning strike nearby. Something makes you fear. That's a primary emotion. But then there's a secondary emotion, which is angry about being afraid or uh, hurt because you're afraid. So a secondary emotion is really the poisons. Primary emotion, I think most of us can justify. We say, oh, I'm stressed at work today. That's primary because there's a lot on and uh, my boss is stupid and therefore my boss is throwing this extra work at us because the boss thinks once they get over this work, there won't be any more work. So the boss goes into stupid mode, got to. We get thrown uh, a hot potato <coughs> wrapped in a foil jacket, burns our hands. <coughs> we jump it up and down. We get the job done and our uh, boss goes back to being the other side of stupid, which is asleep. So the world TikToks like this all the time and so does nature. To expect anything different is going to create secondary emotions because we're going to go, firstly, I'm stressed because of this extra workload that I'm firefighting for the boss. Secondly, I'm pissed off at the boss for doing it. Thirdly, I'm pissed off at me because I could have done it better. Third, fourthly, I'm guilty because I'm not with my kids. And these secondary emotions, man oh man, they have a life of their own. And 
the worst part about a secondary emotion is unless someone who knows you knows you well enough to speak to you about your secondary emotions you think they're primary so you might feel guilty about the kids you go I'm really guilty that I didn't spend time with the kids this week or I'm really guilty I didn't do my uh, training or I'm really disappointed I had a wine last night or I'm really frustrated that I didn't eat well but if you go back a step from that the reason you didn't eat well and the reason that you worked hard and the reason that you uh, didn't train this week or the reason that you did this was quite uh, not out of your control but quite um, driven by an emotion in the first place the emotion to be paid you know fear of being fired uh, the emotion of being tired uh, the, the fear of exhaustion the emotion of <clears throat> uh, wanting to be uh, uh, I don't know to, to, to be exhausted to have the weekend off and these primary things that we have are all well and good and in their own right beautiful or uh, understandable they are still changeable but they're understandable but the secondary one we start beating ourselves up about the secondary emotion we have about an emotion but the trouble is we call it primary you go, I've got guilt about not what I do with the kids you go but what emotions driving that emotion well the reason I didn't spend time with the kids is I really wanted to do well at work so you've got an emotion that makes you want the boss's approval therefore you fear rejection so there's a bundle of emotions right there now we know from inner wealth if you work on the effective stuff you're in uh, hell because working at the effect is like sandpapering a rock uh, on the cliffs of Bondi with uh, a, a nail file looking forward to the statue you're going to create you sandpaper the effect you, 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 you play with the results you play with outcomes who you are secondary tertiary emotional and of course we spend a lot of energy a lot of time dealing with the tertiary stuff you know what's my body weight or how fit am I or how many watts can I pedal on the bike these are all tertiary what's primary well come back to primary and it's day-to-day -day discipline day-to-day -day commitment for example in mind state we say uh, the mental uh, mindset of a person who's healthy at work is gratitude presence certainty and love gratitude presence certainty and love and addicting yourself to that mind state is not about uh, avoiding being a human or avoiding anything it's about uh, uh, knowing what to fix if something's broken because they're primary those three states of mind are primary and all the other things that come which are tiredness um, fatigue uh, uh, anger disappointment <coughs> come from the loss of one of those three let's go through them gratitude what's gratitude the witnessing of beauty order in the chaos 
The ability to see beauty in the world, the ability to see beauty in anything is the real definition of gratitude. It's not, thank you very much for my underpants for birthday. No, it's not that. That's another word, thankful. And I get thankful. But gratitude, when we're talking about it from a spiritual viewpoint, gratitude means beauty. And the witnessing of beauty is the quality of your life. So the more beauty you see in your work, the more beauty you see in, let's say, menstruation, or the beauty you see in getting older, or the beauty you see in working hard, the beauty you see in uh, your boss, the beauty you see in your company, the product you sell, the more beauty you see, the more inspired you become. And this is very, very important because what it does, it gives you a benchmark and it says, if I'm not seeing beauty, I've dropped into dum-dum mode. Tertiary, secondary emotions. And if I start playing with secondary and tertiary emotions, I start reacting to myself firstly and secondly to others because if I'm walking around the house angry and someone's telling me you're an asshole for being angry, then I'm, uh, the question might be what emotion was there before I got angry? What was driving me to be that? And I'm far better to work on cause than effect. If you talk about cause and effect and you talk about the first thing, gratitude, presence, certainty and love, you talk about the first one, gratitude, um, <clears throat> the launch pad from a launching a rocket into the sky is measured to the micromillimeter because if the rocket takes off crooked, it spends a lot of petrol um, correcting itself. <clears throat> it's traveling at such a trajectory. It's like the Formula One Grand Prix. The difference between the front of the grid in pole position in the Formula One race, which is worth hundreds of millions of dollars, that position, pole position, they get paid, I think it's about a $10 million cash bonus for being on pole. Um, uh, Lewis Hamilton, he gets paid $10 million cash for being on pole, if not more, by sponsors. The difference between pole and the back of the grid is less than one second. So the person who comes second, comes second by two one hundredths of a second. Now, I don't even know how to measure that. But they do a rolling start. They come through the start-finish line uh, at full speed. And they measure them coming back across the start-finish line at full speed. And it's roughly, for most racing tracks, 1 minute 29, 1 minute 39, 1 minute... The, the race tracks are about that long, 1 minute 30. 1 minute 30 seconds. And the difference between the front of the grid and the back of the grid is 1 second. And you'd think the front of the grid and the back of the grid, the difference would be... I don't know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, something that's a real significant piece of time, but it's not. <clears throat> that's the quality and the intensity and the magnificence of Formula One racing. That's, and if they, and the, the, the point is here that you've got to have a flat launch pad to launch your rocket. You've got, if, if you go offline, if you go off track, the amount of energy you spend correcting the car, if it spins out or if you go for 10 minutes in the day that's off track, the amount of energy you have to spend to get on track is just huge. Now, if you go off track and you don't know how to correct the steering in a racing car or correct the trajectory in a rocket because the racing car is doing 300 kilometers an hour, the rocket's doing tens of thousands of kilometers an hour out of space. So 
every millisecond. It's a huge amount. And of course, we in our daily life go, I'll do it next week. So we measure things lumpy in weeks and we go, I'm looking forward to the weekend. Really clumsy time management. But time is in, in, in life needs to be measured in microseconds. Microseconds of enjoyment, microseconds of inspiration, microseconds of witnessing beauty. And this becomes why one of the most powerful learnings you get from being in nature Everything's beautiful, even the frickin' bushfire that you're running away from is gonna chase you up your pants and run down your house. There's a beauty in a bushfire, and I know we need to get away from it, secondary emotion. Beauty is the primary. And if you can make gratitude, which is another word for beauty, your primary emotion, you've got a flat launching pad for the day. The second one, gratitude, presence, presence. We get addicted to outcomes, and that's a very masculine uh, way to approach life, and I get it. I get it. I'm a male. I've been. I was brought up measuring outcomes. I'd say I played a good game of footy today, and they say, "Did you win?" No. Well, you didn't play a good game of footy. What's that? What are you talking about? Oh, I kicked ten goals in footy today. They go, "Great. Did you win?" No. Well, they should have kicked more. We are all too often we measure ourselves in process when, at the end of the day, outcome is equally important. Now, it's not more important. Let's not put masculine over feminine principles in the universe. They are balanced. Process and outcome, it's the same topic. But if you achieve an outcome with a shitty process, you're gonna spend a lot of time with that outcome repairing the damage you did creating it. So it's the turtle and the hare, uh, the old story. The, the hare goes, that's the masculine. Outcome, done. Doesn't matter who I hurt or what happens, outcome. The turtle goes, well, it doesn't matter really who I hurt and I want to bring people along with me and I want to explain what we're doing and there is a process here, feminine, and the turtle gets to the end, the hair's still trying to repair and fix all the damage it did getting to the finish line. It's the same with if you were learning running, if you go to a good run coach, uh, like I recommend people going to Run Crew here in Sydney. And they go to Run Crew and Ben says, two ways runners go about this. One is they get outcome driven and they train too hard. They train too hard and they bust something. So uh, with a lot of my previous partner, she busted, she got stress fracture in the foot, she busted a hamstring, she busted a knee. She busted all these things and Ben had warned her. He said, when, he first, when we first went to Ben, he said, it's gonna take, we can take a minute a year off your 10K pace. A minute a year, that's the most. But she needed three minutes to be competitive in the triathlon. So all the coaches that she had trained her, uh, uh, she, when she, she, she went to the triathlon coach and didn't go to Ben and Ben said, don't do this, don't do that and train this and train that. The triathlon coaches says, oh, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. And the triathlon coaches busted her legs. She was following instructions, but she was following the instructions she wanted to hear. And she, what the instructions she wanted to hear that was, Ben was wrong, and the triathlon coach could knock three minutes off her competitive time because everybody wanted her to win. Meanwhile, uh, uh, stress fracture in the foot, 12 weeks off. Busted hamstring, pff, I can't remember, three months. Busted knee, months. 
busted this, busted that. And if you add it all up, Ben was right. It's now four or five years down the track from when all that started. And she's basically gained a minute a year with all the injuries um, uh, and could have gone a lot softer and a lot slower and a lot steadier and approached it more in the feminine way. All the coaches were masculine in the feminine way, which is just follow Ben's instructions with maturity. And we get this at work in our careers. We get it in our relationships. We put uh, Valentine's Day comes. We put the foot on the accelerator. We go, yo, it's Valentine's Day. Here's a present. Here's flowers. Here's a bunch of roses. Here's something to make you feel good. The day after Valentine's Day, I think I might go to the footy. We're very much foot brake, accelerator, foot brake, accelerator, foot brake, accelerator. Instead of... Uh, working with the both harmony of both masculine and feminine, outcome and process, outcome and process, every day. So that's presence, and that teaches you to enjoy the moment. It goes hand in hand with beauty. The second part is enjoy, the, be present. Know where you're going. Set, we call it, do the vision quest, set and forget. Know where you're going, then set and forget, and then work out what daily habits will cause you to get where you want to go. And that requires discipline. You won't like it. It's not about your emotions. It's not about whether you feel good or doing good or experiencing good. When we get obsessed with getting there to the end, getting past our fears and over the other side of the hill, we start to forget process. And process is gentle. Process is steady, but it's very, very, and that's the feminine. It very, very much requires routine and discipline unbreakable oh honey would you mind taking me to bunnings this morning because i need to get a vegetable uh, tray uh no sweetie i have a discipline at nine o'clock every morning i go online to talk to my clients or i'm no sweetie it's three o'clock friday afternoon i still have a bit of work to do before four o'clock comes which is my friday knockoff time these things become self-respect i think Okay, so uh, gratitude presence. Certainty is the third one. Morning. Certainty. What's that? What's certainty? Well, I did a workshop with a corporate group, and the leader of that corporate group appropriately said, I don't want you to teach my uh, team certainty because it's the biggest problem we have at work. Fixed, fixed hard-headed, fixed-minded certainty makes it impossible to lead somebody and i had to shift the word in the workshop to the word clarity and clarity is a gorgeous word too clarity but it's not certainty so it's a the whole topic of certainty is something that you really really have to sit down and dwell on and certainty for me there is no certainty. Like certainty for me, I was standing in New York with 60 something million dollars invested and investors and, and a building ready to start a project and an airplane hit a building and all the debris fell on top of the building we, were, we, were, we had leased and, uh, and the uh, funder withdrew their money and we lost everything. So certainty, who would have predicted that on the horizon? But what, the, what you can have, certainly, and, uh, oh, 
I'm in love and my family's going to stay together. You cannot, anything that breathes, anything that breathes, anything that breathes, don't trust. Now, I know that sounds awful. I know it sounds awful. But it's wise. You don't get certainty trusting something that breathes. It's far better to know human nature and trust that. So I don't trust anything or anything that breathes. I believe in it. I respect it. I value it. I treasure it. I honor it. I have gratitude for it. I have all the things. But trust, no. I've also studied uh, Buddhism and I've studied religion and I've studied meditations and yoga and yoga teachers and I don't trust any of that anymore. I, I, I have worked with far too many people that are admired by millions and then I've come to realize that the admiration is for a disguise. So what do we trust? And it's a very important question for me to ask because having a broken family from the, a very early age, the age of three, what do you trust? Do you trust your mum's going to be there in the morning? Well, you do, don't you? You're a little kid, three years old. You say, I trust that my mum's going to be there forever. Well, she wasn't. 20 seconds later, she wasn't there. I trust my dad's going to be there for me. He wasn't. He went into grief and lived the next 80 years or whatever it was, 50, 60 years in grief. Not there for anyone. What do you trust? Well, I searched and searched and searched around the world to say, what the fuck do I trust? I thought Buddhism was a trustable thing. I thought you could trust it, but you can't. Because it doesn't, it doesn't work everywhere. You can trust Buddhism if you're in a temple. You can trust Buddhism if you're in a place where there's other Buddhists. But then they, they breathe. So there's people in there that you can't trust. And I found that out the hard way. I found out in business you can't trust people. What you trust is human nature. What I found out was that the laws of nature, the universal laws, the laws that I teach, were written on the side of the pyramid about 4,000 years before Christ, BC. And they were written there, stamped on the sides of the pyramid, because somebody really knew how the universe worked. Then they got split up into 10 or 12 little uh, pieces. It was like someone broke, uh, tore up a sheet of paper with all the laws of nature on it and threw it up in the air and people ran in and got a piece and said, oh, I found it. But what they found was a piece of it. And so what, what I tried to do is to go back to this uh, ancient, the ancient mysteries and find out what is the complete set of the universal laws. And that how, is how we came to talk about certainty. Certainty is, I know how nature operates on the moon, on Mars, in Sydney, in a pair of bikinis, uh, in an office. I know how nature operates. 
and nothing on earth can operate outside the scope of nature. It can't. It's impossible to escape it because it runs the universe. If one single molecule in the entire universe of trillions and billions and skillions and billions of stars defied the laws of nature, the whole universe would implode. And it's not going to do that. So I can, I've got something I've got certainty of, haven't I now? I've found certainty in the universal laws of nature and, and applying them to human nature. You go, what is a person saying? Doesn't matter. What is a person doing? Doesn't matter. What is a person thinking? Doesn't matter. What matters is the universal laws. If I see someone walking to the left, I know eventually they'll walk to the right. If I see someone polarizing themselves, I know that they have to have an antipole, a person on the other side. And this is the discard form. If you do the discard form, the full discard, 16 columns, you'll sit there and go, oh my God, this is magnificent. The universal laws play out in every thought a human being has. And every thought we have, which is a secondary or tertiary emotion, creates itself in a disaster because it's not moving in the direction that we um, visualized or wish for or hope for. So certainty, the third one, gratitude, present certainty. Certainty is only one thing. And, and please believe me here, I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to shove it down your throat. I explored it. I've climbed mountains, I've sat in temples, I've explored religion, I've become stupid, I've become crazy. I've gone in First Nation, indigenous communities. Nobody knows it. They've got a piece, a tiny fragment of a sheet of paper and they say, oh, I found it. But I've put together the whole piece of paper back together again, every corner. I've checked it, I've rechecked it, I've made sure that every piece of the jigsaw puzzle is all back and then applied it to human nature so that we can see what is a real, what does it look like to see past what people say, see past what people are even thinking, see past that and see their true nature. And that you can trust. You can trust the true nature of a human being if you can let detach yourself from people that you love and care about, if you can detach yourself from what they say, you'll see their true nature. And when we fall in love or we get attracted to someone, we're not attracted to their true nature because everybody's true nature has got nothing to do with us. We're only attracted to their fraud, to their untrustability, to the masks they put on, the way they portray themselves, their identity. And as you know from doing the work we've done, your identity, once fixed, becomes your biggest problem because we become attached to our identity and not attached to our true nature and then we start chasing rainbows, lying to ourselves, dealing with secondary and tertiary emotions, judging ourselves, criticizing ourselves for things that that are normal. The only thing that gives certainty in this universe for a human being is understanding the universal laws. Like playing chess. If you were playing chess and you didn't know the rules of the game, how the hell, how the hell would you play? How the hell would you get some level of confidence in playing? You wouldn't, you'd be guessing. You'd be working out of books and looking at computer programs to try and uh, work out uh, patterns and plays. 
but having no idea what you're doing because you don't know the rules. You don't know why. So the universal laws, the five laws that I go over and over again to help people is there to create certainty in life. Certainty is not clarity. Certainty is not confidence. Certainty is absolute certainty that no matter where I go, what I do, no matter what happens, the universal laws play out. They're sitting there, awake and alive. It's not they're going to play out tomorrow. They're, going to, they're, they're, they're in play right now. There's balance. Right now. And if I see that balance, I become a wise person and I have certainty. If I don't see the balance, I become an emotional person and I operate out of uncertainty. And my second, secondary emotion, feeling uncertain about things, is to trust people. I bring up the emotion of dependency. If I feel uncertain, can I find someone else who I can marry or live with who's got some level of uh, fixed identity that gives me the illusion that I can trust them? This doesn't work. This doesn't work. And it doesn't bode well for a relationship either. Because the universe is teaching you to love, nature is teaching you to love, and by holding on to someone else and trusting another person's certainty or another person's identity, you block it. You block the process. So certainty is the third one. Gratitude, presence, certainty, and love. Well, imagine that. At the end of all this story, gratitude, which is the ability to see beauty, presence, which is the ability to set and forget and live in disciplined presence in the world with routine and schedule and not be addicted to fantasies and, uh, and sugar, sugars of life. Presence, be here in the moment. Certainty, understanding, having x-ray vision, understanding things you can trust and knowing that it, if it's trustable, it doesn't breathe. And love, right at the end of it. And there are so many ways that this proves itself. If you go in a at the bottom of the consciousness plane. They've got to love. They've got to have more sex. They've got to be with that person. They've got to be back in bed, back cuddling, back with their babies, back with their friends, back. If that, if that love expresses itself in a got to, or got to get love, got to have love, you'll notice it. And you'll go to a church and you'll hear love expressed in should, should, thou should, shalt should, should, shout, should, shout. And you'll see love in hymns and the love of God and the love of Jesus and the love of Muhammad and the love of uh, Moses, whatever you want to say, the love. And it's a should love and you'll feel it. And you won't even have a single moment of denial that that feels like love at whatever level. And as you know, from the work you've studied, the louder a person screams the word love, the lower on the consciousness cone it becomes. 
So a got to love is, is, is the stuff that causes people to murder each other and to, uh, to beat up other people and uh, sacrifice their jobs. And that got to love is, is very physical and it's very lustful and it's very violent. And the louder a person shouts the word, I'm in love, the lower down the consciousness cone you know they are, but they are in love. It's not to suggest that it's wrong, it's to suggest that it's very physical and there's two sides to it and it's not very, very trustable if you operate from the consciousness cone and you operate from the universal laws. The louder someone screams love, the lower on the consciousness cone is and the, the less sustained. And then suddenly there's this thing called silence, stillness, which is what I encourage people to do on their 30-minute um, uh, gratitude walk in the morning when they listen to the podcast is to to find the love that comes from stillness to do nothing just for a little while to not hope for something to not wish for something to not drive for something just to to go into micro nature and experience it's the word is experience the beauty of being and the best way to do that the most powerful way to do that is with your eyes open standing up, not sitting on a frickin' cushion somewhere, wallowing in self-adulation. The best way to feel that love is to go out and experience it by looking at nature and the, and the, and the micro-essence of nature. And you'll find yourself becoming gra more grateful, uh, more present, uh, more certain, and those three words start to add up to the last word, which is love. And you'll feel it for others, even if they're antagonized, agnostic, because you won't be attached to your secondary and tertiary emotions about them. You won't trust them, you'll trust their nature. And what happens with people with love and family is the longer you spend with someone, the less you trust them. So the longer you spend with someone, the more you realize they've got a forked tongue. They say one thing and do another. And so the more, longer you spend with someone, the more up the consciousness cone you have to go in order to stay with them in a loving way. And that's why the transparency of the universal laws really helps. That's why it's really important to trust the true nature of a person. It's not kindness, it's not gentleness. The true nature of every human being is the same. It's the universal laws applied to the human condition. Emotions, thoughts, ideas, visions, and you can see a person's vision if you ask them, what do you want? If you had 24 hours to live, where, where would you, what would you do? Where would you, what do you want in three or five years? You can see a person's emotion when you say, how do you feel? And they go, I feel great. You go, okay, that's an emotional answer. And so this word love evolves, it grows, it, it morphs with you. And so the more gratitude, presence and certainty you experience through everyday life, the more the last word automatically grows with you. But there is a necessity to practice, practice, practice on a daily basis, 30 minutes between the time your eyes open in the morning and you go, oh my gosh, it's morning time. And, uh, and you start to speak to your partner, what do you want for breakfast? But in that 30 minutes there somewhere, there's an opportunity to be half awake, half asleep, stepping out the front door. The, the in-between zone of 
where real unconditional love can be felt before the mind kicks in and starts running the day, which it must do. Please share this today's podcast down on the beach in the rain. Um, I've loved sharing it with you. Bye now.